Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. Second Peter chapter 3. We are actually almost done with this book of Second Peter, and uh, we only have a handful of verses left. Uh, but tonight, I want to look at really one and a half verses. It'll be Second Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 14, and then uh, verse 15, the first uh, part of that. So that's, that's our text for tonight. Uh, let's just read that together, and then uh, let's pray, and then I want to give you a thought from, from this text. Uh, Peter is picking up his thought about the end of the world and how the world's going to be burned up one day. That's what he's been talking about prior to this, and that the Lord's coming back. And he says in verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, that end of the world, the Lord's return, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. The long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. I want to pray and then ask the, ask the Lord to help us as we study his word. Father, please help me to preach with uh, your Holy Spirit's anointing. Help your people to hear with the Holy Spirit's anointing so that we may take your word and apply it and leave here with joy in our hearts. I do believe that's something that is missing from too many of us. Please give us joy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We ended the last sermon uh, kind of quoting words from that song, This World is Not My Home, I'm Just Passing Through. Y'all know the song? Treasures laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And this world is not our home. We have somewhere else to look forward to. We have something in the future to look forward to. And Peter has said that everything that we know on this earth, if you go to the prior verses, verses 10, 11, and 12, you can see it there. Everything that we know on this earth, and I know this not very happy thought in, in some ways, but everything that you know on this earth is going to be burned up. One preacher put it this way, it's like fancy kindling. Because we got some fancy stuff, don't we? And the Lord is going to burn every bit of it up. Doesn't matter how, how much you paid for that house. Doesn't matter how much how much you've invested in that yard. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you've done. It's going to be burn up just like that. But we believe the Lord's promises. And instead of grieving over the fact that these things are going to be burned up, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not sitting here saying, yay, burn it all up. But at the same time, if I'm a believer in Jesus, I don't have to grieve over those things. Because I believe his promises, I, as he says in verse 13, I look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. We have something to look forward to. And because that's true of us, that's why he says in verse 14 in our text, seeing that you look for such things, because you do look for that new heaven, because you're not tied to this world, because you have something look to look forward to, there are some things that you need to be doing to get ready for the Lord's return. And that's the, the message I want to give you out of this passage tonight. I'm going to give you three things that every Christian, and I mean every Christian, 
needs to do in order to be ready for the Lord to come back. We do believe he's going to come back at any moment. In fact, in the last book of the Bible, Jesus says three times, Behold, I come quickly. Behold, I come quickly. He says, I'm coming back. We don't know. He even said when he was here, he says, even I don't know the, the day or the hour. He says, when it's time, it's going to be time. And the Lord himself, he knows. He's got it all planned out, orchestrated just perfectly. But it could be any minute now. So we need to be ready for his return. So what are we? And I'm talking to Christian folks when I say this, because I think that's who Peter's writing to. He is talking to people who name the name of Christ, who are sitting in church churches, again, they didn't necessarily have big sanctuaries like this, but they were sitting in people's homes, and they were worshiping the Lord together. When they came together, he was saying, I want y'all to be ready for Jesus to come back. And here's what he says to do. The first thing he says in verse 14, he says, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace. Be diligent to be found of him in peace. Now, the first thing I want to point, point your attention to is this word diligent. It's exactly the same word that he uses in chapter 1 and verse 10. W would you do that? You're, you, maybe a page over. I don't know how your Bible's laid out, but maybe a page or two over at the most. Uh, go to chapter 1 and verse 10. He says that you need to give diligent, diligence excuse me, to make your calling and election sure. So that word diligence, that, that idea to sort of work at it, to, to make, make a point to do it, to, uh, to, to pay attention to it, to focus on it. He's saying in verse 10, he says, I want you to work on, chapter 1, verse 10, I want you to focus on, make sure you pay attention to the fact that you are truly saved. That's those phrases, make your calling and election sure. He's saying, make sure you're saved. And that's exactly what he's saying here in chapter 3, in verse 14. He says, be diligent. He says, make sure you're focused on this. Pay attention to this. That What is it we're paying attention to? That you may be found of him in peace. Now that phrase there, found of him, is an interesting turn of phrase because when you first read it, at least when I first read it, I didn't read it found of him. I say found in him. That's what I kept reading. But that's not what he says. He's saying being found of him. It's kind of a, a judicial phrase. It's what you might want the, 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 the judge to find you. He want, you want the judge to find you, ideally, not guilty, right? That's what you want the judge to do. And that's the idea of this found of him, so that he, God, the judge of all right and, right and proper things, the judge of all the world, you want him to find you. You want him to, to judge you, if you can use those terms. How? In peace without conflict, with no accusation against you. Now, I want to make sure I come back and say this whole thing again, because I, I know I went down a couple of little trails there, but you've got to put it all back together again. What is, he, what is he telling us to do? Make sure, work hard to make sure that you are in a position where God declares you not guilty. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Another way of putting this, Paul writes over in Romans 5, 1, he says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I, can I put another way to say this? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ right now, and I hope that you all are, the first thing you need to do in order to be prepared for Jesus' return is to be sure you're saved. I'm not trying to doubt your salvation, not trying to make you doubt your salvation. I don't believe that's what the Bible ever does. He talks about in verse, chapter 1, verse 10, making your calling and election sure. This is not about going back and saying, are you sure? Are you sure? No, no, no. It's literally like pulling on the rope before you start climbing up the hill. 
before you start trying to climb up the, up the wall. Just make sure it's good and snug. Make sure you test on it. Pull on it right now. Make sure, what, do you, what, is your, what is your faith in? And as a Christian, you need to make sure, what are you trusting in to get you to heaven? Again, don't answer me that question. Answer to the Lord. What is it that you have to, what is it that the Lord is going to count on for you getting into heaven? When you die and you face eternity, why should the Lord let you into his presence? And if the answer is anything other, let me just go ahead and give you the answer to the test. This is where we can cheat on the test. I can go ahead and tell you the answers. If the answer is anything other than Jesus Christ alone and fully, you will not have peace with God. You will not be found of Him in peace. So the first thing you need to do is you need to be found of Him in peace. And the only way to do that is to put your faith fully and totally and only in Jesus Christ. When you're found of him in peace, you're going to look to him to fix everything that's wrong with you. I'm not suggesting that you're perfect. None of us are. In fact, only one was perfect ever, and his name was Jesus. So I'm not suggesting, and I don't even think that, I definitely don't believe the Bible is suggesting in any way that you're to be found perfect. That's not what he's saying at all. He is saying being found in peace. How am I found in peace? Justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that allows us to be justified. So it allows the judge of the world to say, not guilty, it was already paid for by Jesus. We need to make sure, first of all, if you want to be ready for Jesus to come back, you need to enjoy peace with God. And the only way to enjoy peace with God is to make sure you're saved. Are you in Jesus? And he goes on in that verse, in verse 14, to say that we need to be found of him, not only in peace, but without spot and blameless. And, and I'm putting these two words together because Peter tends to put these two thoughts together, this idea of spot and blameless or bl spot and blemish. He kind of puts these two thoughts together in a couple of places in, this, in his writings, both in First and Second Peter. But the two words, spot and blameless, they are, they're really to connote this idea of being morally pure, to be, if you want to put it to you this way, you're, you're going to be prepared for the righteousness that God has. Go back to verse 13. He says, we're looking for a new heaven and a new earth. Wherein dwelleth righteousness? I mean, just think about what he's saying there. What lives in heaven? Righteousness. Are you ready to live in heaven? <laughs> are, you, are you pure and prepared to live in heaven? Or do you have righteousness? Unfortunately, the false prophets don't. Go back to chapter 2 and verse 13. He says... And he's talking about the false prophet, and they're going to receive the reward of unrighteousness. Not the reward of righteousness, but the reward of unrighteousness, as they count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots are they and blemishes. You see where he's using that idea, the spot and blemish, spot and blameless, uh, spot and, and, and with spot and, uh, and with, with blemishes? He says we're not to have blemishes, we're not to have spot, we're to be without spot, with, we're supposed to be blameless. Because that idea of having sin, immoral, immorality, if that is within us, then what we're, what we're going to get is the reward of our unrighteousness. If we want to go to heaven, if we want righteousness, we want, to have, we want to live in a place that's full of righteousness, we've got to be righteous. Now, if you're listening to what I'm saying, you're saying, well, Matthew, I think you just contradicted yourself because you said ain't nobody perfect. And I'm right. I, you're right. I, didn't, I did say that. And it's nobody's perfect. 
But the Bible is telling us that if we are going to be prepared, we need to be found of Him without spot and blameless. Would you please do this? Go back a few pages to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. So we're just going to go to the first letter that Peter wrote and go to chapter 1, and I want you to look with me in verse 19. Now hold your place. We're going to come back to chapter 3, but I want you to see this. But he says here, and he's talking about Jesus and his blood, he said, but with the precious, saying in verse 18 that we were, we were not bought of corruptible things, but he says instead in verse 19, we were bought with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Who is without blemish and without spot? Jesus, the only one who's ever been without blemish and without spot. So if I'm going to be ready to go to heaven, I need to reflect Jesus in my life. Now, does that mean I'm perfect in every way? Of course not. John told us not to think that way. He says in 1 John, he says, if you ever think that you're perfect, you're a liar. If you ever say that you're perfect, you don't have any falsehood in you, you're lying, he says. But he says here that Jesus is the one who was morally pure. We have to be morally pure to get to heaven. We do. But my moral, moral purity doesn't come from me. This flesh, the best it can do is sin. That's the best that this flesh can do. So I need to get some righteousness real quick. I need to get a robe of righteousness and wrap it all around me so I can go to heaven if I want to go to heaven. Which is why... Philippians 3 says, and this is Paul writing about how he wants to give up everything in his life so that he can, he says, win Christ. This is Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9. He says, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Can I say it to you another way? We have to reflect the righteousness of Jesus Christ to make sure that our life shows off Jesus, not me. There's too many Christians, can I put it to you this way? There's too many Christians who say, well, I can point back to the date and the time that I said a prayer and I did a thing. But, I look at, but if I were to look at the overall course of their life, it would, I would say, it doesn't look anything like Jesus. You're not reflecting him in any way. And you say, well, I don't have to be perfect to go to heaven. I'd say, you're right. You don't have to be perfect. Thank the Lord. We don't have to be perfect because none of us would go to heaven if that was the requirement. But I do need to, there needs to be, I need to be robed in his righteousness. I need to be baptized into him. Have you ever gotten into a pool of water or a creek or anything where a, bo a body of water, have you ever gotten into one and come out and not had any water on you? It's not possible. I'm not going to say you don't have a dry spot on you from time to time, but I'm saying you get into a pool of water and you come out and you're bone dry. I don't think you got into that pool of water. The same thing goes with being baptized, being found in Jesus Christ. There's going to be some of him on you. Again, for some way, somehow, you might not be perfect in every... In fact, you're not going to be perfect in every way. You're going to fail the Lord. You're going to fail the Lord. You're going to come short of His glory. That's absolutely the case. But if there's not some reflection of Jesus Christ on you, because He is without spot, He is without blemish, and you need to be found of Him without spot and without blemish, and not yours, but His, and if your life doesn't at least reflect Him in some way, one of two things, I don't know what's happening, to be honest with you. I would argue you're not saved. 
But at least, if you're going to say, well, I am, absolutely. Well, you're not yielding yourself to the Holy Spirit. I can promise you that. At the very least, you're not doing that. So, what has to happen is, if I have a look of hope, my eyes are fixed towards heaven, then that should produce a life of righteousness. That there will be some reflection of Christ in my walk. First Peter, or Second Peter, rather, chapter one and verse five says that we need to add to our virtue. He says we need to give all diligence. So we need to work hard at this to add to our faith virtue. So it is not enough, according to Second Peter, to it is not enough simply to have faith. Yes, we have to have faith. That is enough. That is all that it's going to take to get us in there. But if we're not showing that by adding to our faith virtue, by the way we live our lives, something's missing. Now, I want to make sure I'm real careful with what I'm saying because I'm dancing on a line right now. I just want to make sure you all know I'm dancing on a line, and I know that I'm dancing on a line. I am not trying to give you any kind of perfectionist uh, theology here at all. Not at all. Not what the Bible teaches. But I will tell you, and I will go to my grave preaching this, that if there is not some change in your life, you can say what you want to. But there, there is not a reflection of Jesus. The Bible teaches that you are not in Christ. Now, again, I'm not saying perfection. Never saying that, will not say that. But if there is not some virtue that is added to your faith after you have put your faith in Jesus and he has saved you wholly, I don't know that you've actually been, your faith has actually been put in him. There's a, there's a very important distinction here that I'm making, and you need to get that because as a Christian, I want to be ready for Christ's return, so I want to make sure that my, my life reflects his life. Say it to you another way, are you living like somebody who's looking for Jesus to come back? You can see this in chapter 3 and verse 11. He says, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? He's saying if this whole world is going to be ending one day and it's all going to be gone and you are truly looking for the next home, that ought to make you live a little different. On its own, not to mention, of course, that you're baptized in Christ and you have his character and all that. Not to mention that, but if truly your eyes are fixed to heaven, you ought to be living like somebody who's a citizen of the next world. If you want to be prepared for Jesus' return, we need to live as if he's actually coming back real soon. We need to live that way. Now, I read the next phrase in, the, in chapter or verse 15, because I want to show you this, that he says, and, and he connects that. So not only are we... Um, Verse 14, we're given diligence to be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. But he says, also we need to do this, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. The long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. He's contrasting that with, uh, with the false teachers in, in verses 3 and 4, these, uh, these scoffers who were saying, ah, Jesus ain't coming back. He ain't been back. He's been saying that for years. He ain't coming back. He's contrasting us, believers, with those people. And he's saying to Christians, said, listen, the, the Lord hasn't come, hasn't come back, and, and he may delay his, his coming a little bit longer. And I want to say to you right now, he may come back tonight, but it might be another generation. It might be multiple generations. I don't know how long he's going to be, but he is going to come, and he's going to come soon. But don't get mad 
And don't lose heart because the Lord's not coming back right this second. That's the point. Instead, he says, account that long-suffering of our Lord its salvation. See it as a reason for gratitude. Now, I know that's hard to think like that because most, most Christians are in one of two camps. I can't wait for Jesus to come back. Or, man, I sure hope he doesn't come back because i got a lot of stuff I want to do. Those are the one of the two camps. Am I right? I mean, that's, you're either one of the two. You're either ready to go now, and if there's a bus lined up, you're a first in line, or you're over here saying, hang on just a little bit more. i got a bunch of stuff on my list I need to do before you come back. Where the scriptures say that Christians need to be is in this middle spot between those two that says, I'm ready when he's ready, but while I'm waiting, I got some things that he wants me to do, and I'll do what he wants me to do while I'm here. So I'm going to have an attitude of gratitude for his delay. This delayed opportunity provides, or rather, this delayed return provides us with some opportunities to do some things. For one, he talks about that the long suffering is salvation. I, I, he's hitting it a bunch, so I have to hit it a bunch in this as I say it to you. It's an opportunity for your salvation. Now, you may say, well, I'm already saved. Well, aren't you glad that the Lord delayed his return until that moment that you heard the gospel? Aren't you glad for that? You ought to say, thank you, Lord, because you, yes, we may want him to come right this minute, but aren't you glad that he waited long enough for you to hear the, 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 the truth of Jesus Christ? Now, he allowed it so that you could get that settled with him. And you should see his delay as evidence of his love for you. Because if nothing else, he waited long enough for you to be saved, so he clearly loves you. Clearly he loves you. Because he doesn't have to do that. You do know that. You know what he could have done? He could have, the minute that Adam messed up, do exactly what I do when I mess up on a piece of paper. Ball that thing up and threw it away and say, forget everything. God could have done that. But you know what he did? The minute that Adam sinned, well, rather, before that ever happened, he knew what was going to happen, and he made a plan of salvation that would orchestrate, he would orchestrate throughout all of history, and he knew that Matthew Tilly would be born in 1975, and that when Matthew Tilly was born, that he would be a certain age when he would hear the gospel and understand what, he was, going to, what he was being said, and that his heart would be ready to receive it, and he said, I'm not going to come back at least until after that. And you can put your own name and your own dates in there wherever you need to. The thing is, that's the Lord showing you that he loves you. And it's an opportunity for your salvation. It's also an opportunity for the salvation of people in your life that you know and you love and you care about. His delay, as much as you might want him to be coming back right now, right this minute, don't wait any longer. I'm ready to go, Lord. Another minute of delay might be another opportunity for that friend, that loved one, that brother, that husband, that uh, mother, whatever, whoever it is in your life, to hear the gospel, accept the truth of Jesus Christ. And because of that, because Jesus has delayed his coming, instead of us sitting here either antsy to him to come or saying, please don't come yet, i got a bunch of stuff i got to do, we need to not let up our efforts as we wait on him. Now, we don't need to let it panic us either. We've got to be careful with this. Sometimes you can get this idea that, oh, I've got to do it right this minute. The Lord's working on this in his good time. You do what you're supposed to do. You say the truth. You live the truth. And the Lord will work on these people. This is how he operates. 
but it's an opportunity for us to just trust in his goodness. In chapter 3 and verse 9, he says over there that, um, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. But he's long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, he says. So he's, he's a good God. And, and I'm not trying to... I, we, again, this is one of these others. Can I just tell you I'm another dance in another line here? We've got to be careful with these lines. We've got to watch them. They're important in the Bible. He says, on the one hand... Don't fret, don't worry, don't get anxious. The Lord's in control. At the same time, he's saying, the Lord's delaying his return, so you better take advantage of the, uh, of the time that he's given to you. You need to take advantage of this. It's an opportunity for others' salvation. It's also an opportunity for sanctification in us and others as well. I like how uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, said this. I want to read this little quote from him. He says, we are puzzled at the long-suffering which causes so weary a delay. We get all upset about these delays, he says. One of the reasons is that we have not much long-suffering ourselves. We think that we do well to be angry with the rebellious, and so we prove ourselves to be more like Jonah than Jesus. You all remember Jonah? He got mad at those Ninevites, and he wanted God to just blow them up. You ever felt like that about some people? Just go ahead, fire, come on down from heaven. That's how I feel sometimes, and he's rebuking us for that. He says, no, let's have the attitude of Jesus. A few, may have, a few have learned to be patient and pitiful to the ungodly, but many more are of the mind of James and John who would have called fire from heaven upon those who rejected the Savior. We're in such a hurry. We are in a hurry, aren't we? But you see, what, 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 he's, what, he's, what he's trying to tell us in this passage in 2 Peter is allow God's delay of his return, to prompt us to be patient with people, but to continue to work on them, not to give up on them. Be patient. Don't, don't beat them over the head. You know it's God who saves them, but your job is to continue to lovingly work with them and use every available opportunity, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Isn't God good? He is a good God. He's so good that he's, he's promised his return He's promised that he would come back at any moment, but he's also made every accommodation possible to make sure there's anybody that wants to get in the boat can get in the boat. Y'all remember Noah? Y'all remember that story of Noah in Genesis? That's an interesting story, because God sent Noah to preach that there would be coming judgment. He sent Noah for that. Noah was out there preaching as he was building that ark. He preached for, I don't know, it was decades he was out there preaching. And, and God was so gracious to tell the people, listen, I'm about to send a flood. Here's a guy that's building a ginormous boat where nobody builds boats. And he's telling you what God's going to do. All you have to do is go ahead and get your family in this boat. And I believe, I happen to believe that God allowed Noah to build that boat big enough that as many people as wanted to get on there could have got on there. But he's the same God who eventually did shut that door and there were only eight people on that ark. And he's the same God who is long-suffering enough for us today to continue to save men and women, to continue to delay a little bit longer, whatever he's got planned. I don't know. I have no idea how long he's going to delay. But when, he does, when he's done, he's going, to, he's going to be done. Don't take the direction that the vast majority did in Noah's day. Instead, if you want to be ready for the Lord's return, make sure you're saved. 
Make sure that you have a life that reflects Jesus Christ. Make sure you're taking advantage of every moment that the Lord gives us because we don't know how many more he's going to give us. It's going to be done at some point. So right now you've got moments. Enjoy them. Have some joy in life. I'm preaching to myself just so you all know. Have some joy. The good life that God has given us. Lots of opportunities. Let's enjoy it. Let's take advantage of it. Let's use it for his glory, for his honor. Because one day... It's going to be done. It'll be over. We'll be glad. We'll be in heaven. But man, I know some of us will have regrets. Man, I should have told that one person. I should have served that one way. I should have done that one thing. I should have prayed a little longer. Don't, 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 don't beat yourself up then. Go ahead and deal with it now. God is a good God giving us this time. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.